0: grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment get amazing offers during the mercedes-benz summer event like the 2019 c-class sedan and glc suv the perfect recipes of driving performance plus
1: you can enjoy six months of sirius xm all access included the mercedes-benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles offers end september 3rd mercedes-benz
0: the best or nothing hey dan here just with a quick little preamble this podcast was recorded before the win over Real Batiste over the weekend, just before actually. And I, one thing I want to add to it that kind of does change the narrative a little bit is that because Lionel Messi was so, so good and Luis Suarez, we're not sure how long he's going to be out with injury, does change a little bit of what we would have said. I think the credit that is deserved to Lino Messi for his performance against Real Batiste and the hope that he gives a fan base by just being him and just how good he's been and gotten better as the month has gone on is a really important detail to how this is going to be viewed so think of things with just a little more optimism even than we give you in this show and the other thing i want to make mention is this happened also before the Barça femini went to the wanda and defeated atletico madrid in front of that record-breaking thousand plus person crowd so credit to the barcelona femini tony dugan nails the goal that winds up winning it for barcelona and it was a great moment for the femini team just want to give that a quick shout out and mention and without further ado on with the show welcome to the barcelona podcast episode 132 a Opinions, opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the fc barcelona community I'm Dan Hilton, and my guest today is formerly Total Barca, sometimes the Barcelona football blog, and all the time a terrific guest from Boston. It's Eric Coffin-Gould. How are you, Eric?
1: doing well. How are you, Dan?
0: Well, we're okay. Uh, we're, for those, depending on when you have this in your ear, this, we're actually recording this right before the Real Batiste match. So, you probably would have heard me in a prelude in case something catastrophic or... Uh, or, or exceptional happens in that Real Batiste match. But nevertheless, we're going to be talking about broader things and bigger things as these teams head out on the international break after this last final match. And today we've got a La Gran Bagunta of how should Barcelona fans feel about this Champions League campaign. So this is a big idea coming on the back of that Lyon win, getting Manchester United in the draw. And don't worry, we'll have plenty of preview on that. But for now, Eric, you and I are just going to take Almost a, an emotional breath after that win against Lyon where it seemed like even though Barca were the, I think, heavy favorites in that one, it never really felt like anyone was calm about it, that there was always worry to it. And we're trying to get to the bottom of why this Champions League campaign should feel different. And I think that's a good place to start. That to you, I guess we'll start right at the beginning. That this Champions League campaign, now it's not over yet. But it is time for, you know, the the last eight teams are remaining. And it seems that this Barcelona squad is still a heavy favorite in a way that it might not have been in the last one or two, three seasons.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I I think overall, the sensations or the sensaciones, as Sidlow likes to say, um, really, really should be positive around the Champions League this year. And I think that's been it's been a point of emphasis for the team. It's been a point of emphasis famously for Messi. Um, everybody, and for the fans especially, I think everybody is locked in on the Champions League as sort of make or break. And I think largely that's a, that's a point of fear and of, of concern and hope, but it, it largely I think it just has to be a point of excitement. Um, we've got a great eight teams at which Barcelona really do look to be probably the favorites uh, as far as the odds are concerned with a lot of the sort of European heavyweights knocked out. And broadly, the team is playing well. Five, it, five one against Lyon was, was no easy feat, um, despite them being sort of a less traditional European heavyweight. And and the team looks more well balanced and has more tools in its arsenal than it has for for several years now. I think you've seen that with Arthur, whose return to the team has been fantastic. With Dembele, um, whose speed and talent are really just unbelievable. Um, and there, the team is has added several dimensions from what was a fairly limited but very successful team last
0: year. Yeah, I agree with that, that I think last year you saw, and we knew it was going to be a 4-4-2. So with a tongue-in-cheek, you could say Valverde had his Gala 11. This is the way Barcelona play. And because Coutinho did not play in the Champions League last year, there was this feeling that Barcelona were missing this added this added piece, or this, uh, particularly in the form that Coutinho was in last year compared to this year, because even with him, obviously, uh, they, there's different ways that they can go about their business. And I I think there is an assortment of riches, particularly even on the bench, that we'll get to it in La Ronda later, but the question of Dembele even coming in injured against Lyon, not only did he add something different and completely change that match when Barcelona were, we'll say, holding on to a 2-1, and Dembele's inclusion kind of flipped it on its head, but if it wasn't Dembele in that situation, Malcolm also does a different job, and Malcolm was a guy that wasn't there last year either. That It's not even personnel has expanded. But you're right that I I think that there are multiple ways for them to play. And when certain players don't have it, and I think back to the the Bernabeu match or even the Copa del Rey against Real Madrid a few weeks ago as well, that Messi wasn't perfect or wasn't his normal Messi in the way he was against Lyon against Real Madrid and yet there were so many other players who got a B B plus a minus for those games and that pushes Barcelona over the over the edge and I think when you look back at the last few seasons Roma in the quarter final when they crashed out Juventus in the quarter final Atletico in the quarter final back in 2016 and obviously winning in 2015 you know this chapter from we'll say 2016 till now I, and it's not saying that Barcelona, you know, oh, well, it's, it's time, it's their year. You know, we've had to go through a few quarterfinal exits. But in each of those quarterfinal exits, there was a lack of variety and a lack of ideas. And I, I, it doesn't feel like that this year. It seems that Rakitic, Busquets, they do their job. Dembele has his job. Suarez has his days, doesn't have his others. Messi's the same way, but it seems like enough guys are always there for Barcelona to be able to get a victory when they need it this season.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that Valverde has worked on really intentionally this season. Um, from the start he he made it very clear that he was pursuing the 4, four 3 3 um, that things were going to be mixed up a bit. And and that's a pro- and the process in which a coach sort of feels out his team and figures out what he has with each player, figures out what new looks he can throw is is a painful process. Um, and that tinkering can be can be difficult to watch and leads to some e- uneven performances early on, but ultimately it really does start to pay off around this time of the year. And I think that's something that we we've really come to appreciate is the four-three-three works. Uh, Dembele slots in naturally there. Coutinho a little less so. Rakitic can deputize for Busquets now. We have rotation in the midfield where Vidal has found a role. He's also experimented with a four-two-three-one. Um, with Messi as more of a classic number 10, and then somebody on the right balancing him out, there's a lot of different looks that this team can, can throw at you now. And and I think the, the midfield depth is a crucial part of that. Having five, six capable starters that you can you can throw on the field and rotate through and, and feel comfortable with is is really important. And each of them sort of change the, the tenor of Barcelona's play.
0: Yeah, and that's an important note that there is a a roller coaster that every team goes through in every season. And when you look back and, you know, not to focus on Roma once again, but it felt like Lyon was a little bit of burying some of that, you know, the bad taste in our mouths from a season ago when Barcelona were not just in, not just obviously in Champions League, but then a a week or two later, losing to to Levante and losing that unbeaten streak that it seemed that Barca were on a, the down of that roller coaster at just the worst time. And that's how it's felt for the last few seasons as the squad has continued to age. And I think it's a good point that the amount of midfield depth that there is now that hasn't been there, even in the days of Iniesta and as Xavi was on his last legs as well, that there seems to be a guy that can always be there that doesn't let the form of this team go down far enough that it's time to crash out that the team is it's again at its worst at the moment seems to be not in terrible form and that's why i think this is the best in form barcelona that we've seen since the last time they did win the champions league and i think that's an important note and talking just emotionally eric do you think that again there is no linear well now this is because they beat Lyon. now they've buried the hatchet on roma but do you think there is something to be said about kind of getting over that hurdle of of being a favorite and getting by that level
1: yeah i definitely think so and and United will be a good test of that. But I think the the it's really hard to underemphasize or it's it's hard to, rather it's hard to overemphasize how bad the past few years of watching Real Madrid win the Champions League has mm-hmm. been on the Barcelona fan base and it's really it's really kind of brought the team and the team's sort of mentality in some ways back to how you hear people talk about Barcelona in the 90s where they were a great team but couldn't quite get over that hump. Um, and obviously this is a sort of much uh, much higher level and and more sort of dramatic over over what are still very successful seasons. I mean, practically an undefeated Liga. But it, it really it takes a naturally it's taken a naturally pessimistic fan base and given them even more to worry about. Um, and what what's particularly interesting if you look at the the quarterfinal exits is that they're it's so disconnected from how successful the team has been domestically. You have this team that is is hugely triumphant in Spain. And then, and especially the the Roma, not just Roma, but Juventus before that, and Atletico before that, and, and also the the Paris loss to begin with, before the comeback, mm-hmm. um, that just that just falls to pieces, and it, it leaves fans in a in a place with the Champions League, I think currently, where winning feels less like joy and more like relief. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sort of competitor who who is more scared of losing than they love winning. And I think
0: that that's a really dangerous place to be. It makes you think that there are fans out there that are happy about a certain style and winning. There's fans that care just about the trophies and winning. There are fans that care just about seeing a lot of goals. There are fans that want complete domination. That's the only way they're going to be happy. And trying to have a general and complete conversation in a fan base when people seem to, at this point, have different goals with the finite goal of being winning but how does that come about, I think, becomes the question. And what do you individually as a fan find to be your threshold for how much winning and how that winning happens?
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is a sort of classic question uh, for the fan base and, and for Barcelona fans always is, is sort of style play versus results or, or how, they, how they mesh together. Certainly there, there are purists. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we all, we just want to enjoy watching games. Mm-hmm. And it's not a secret that there have been times in the last couple of years that Barcelona just week in, week out, weren't very fun to watch. And so, I mean, last last year they, they got results, but a lot of those games were a grind. And and fans want to love their team and they want to see success, but they also want to, you know, spend two hours of their day every week watching something that's that's fun. And, but I, I do think we have that this year. I do think there, there is some really, it's imperfect, but there are some really nice connections going on. We have exciting players, we have uh, a phenomenal defense without playing defensively. The, the ability to, to defend but not limit yourself that way is really important. And I think, I think the team just feels balanced in a way that it hasn't since 2015. But I remember, I, just bringing it back to the, to the joy, I remember that, that 2015 spring, in which, for a few months, Barcelona were absolutely unstoppable. And that might be one of the best Champions League com- campaigns of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, playing playing PSG, playing City, playing Bayern. string of amazing results in Europe. A string of amazing results um, domestically. And they just couldn't be beaten. They were a phenomenal team that reached a peak of play that was the equal or maybe even better for that, those few months than, than Guardiola's team, uh, in both in terms of results and in terms of the quality of play. But it really felt like at the time that people, uh, the it's sort of Barca Twitter didn't really get excited until we beat Bayern in the semifinal. Um, there was this feeling, especially after the, the dramatics at Anoeta in January with Lucho and Messi and everything there, that there's, this, there's always this waiting for the other shoe to drop until one day you wake up and you've won the Champions League, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was nice. But I, what I, what I, if this season, whether or not this season is as successful as that year, what I would really want, what I'm really trying to do myself and what I hope others would do is really just enjoy the ride in that we, the team is playing well. They need everybody's support. And, and really just if, if the performances are there, uh, if the team is fun to watch and balanced and, uh, and moving forward and making progress, like whether or not the results fall our way, it's, It's something that's worth sort of cherishing and appreciating and and looking forward.
0: Yeah, and Barcelona's fans are in a different spot than a lot of those other giants. I mean, Man City are looking for the Champions League, just as PSG are. They're looking to win that Champions League title. And obviously, I know PSG's out at the moment. And Same thing with Bayern Munich and Juventus. They're in a camp where, obviously, one is in, one is out. But uh, year in and year out, you know, Bayern their domestic domination, you think Barcelona fans take La Liga for granted. Well, you know, the Bundesliga is almost a given that it's going to go to Bayern Munich in the same way that Serie A's Juventus is a 90% overwhelming favorite every year. So their goal really comes down to to get something new to get that new bit of dopamine. The Champions League is the only option. And I think that's, uh, as I've been saying with a lot of different guests over the course of this year, that it really is about that ride that it a treble is very, very difficult and not Expected. That's not the, the expectation, but the dominance they've had in La Liga is in a vacuum, Champions League and Copa del Rey notwithstanding, completely uh, exceptional. And throughout Barcelona's history, it is a special, special time carrying over. You know, the era didn't end with Pep Guardiola. The era of Barcelona's dominance has continued on and we still are living it right now and I think that's that's the funny story that it's not just about Messi, but there's going to there might come a day where just like Real Madrid this season where Barcelona's going to wake up and we're going to go oh we're not top tier anymore. We're we're having a down year, we're having a we're in a valley and you're going to know what that feels like to not be able to conquer not only Spain, but the world. And you're not going to be able to do that. And Bar- that's not going to be the team Barcelona is. And when that day comes, I think we'll know it. But that's not what now is. And I, I think the, the point I want to kind of end this on is that I remember watching the Rio Vallecano, and obviously this is only like three weeks ago, so obviously I remember it, but against Rio and even against Rio de Lid, Barcelona were clearly in second gear. And I think to your point that As fans, we just want to enjoy those two hours. We sit down once a week with Barcelona, sometimes twice, obviously, if it's Copa del Rey or Champions League. But that one time, one game a week that we sit down and watch our team, we want excellence and we want to enjoy it. And against Rio and Valladolid, the reason why, you know, the team clearly wasn't up to it that day. And we didn't have to be as fans either because we knew that it was the bigger picture about Lyon, about the Champions League.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think there has to be a level of, of trust in the team and in the manager in, to be able to, to tolerate sort of uh, losses or, or less results and you, if you know that the team will turn up when it counts. Um, and I think that's something that we really had. There was this unshakable faith around Guardiola when he was the Barcelona manager that the team would would hit a string of bad results because he, he had perfected the sort of long-view periodization of the team of really knowing when the team had to had to peak, um, and when when they could afford to get some bad results, they could afford to get some bad results in January and February. Um, they could afford to to play away games a little a little casually in order to if because you knew in a in a double leg tie that they would turn up at home, and fans had that sort of rock solid base that uh, Guardiola knows what he's doing. Um, and and the team will, will turn up when it counts. I think under Luis Enrique and under Valverde, that faith isn't quite as strong, but we still mm-hmm. saw the, we've still seen the similar effects over the course of the season. When you zoom out, you see, okay, well, yeah, they they struggled at the beginning of the season in the fall, they tinkered with things a little bit, they battled with some injuries and, and had some down periods, but then uh, those successful seasons have really involved uh, turning up when it, when it counts. And I think that's That's the the trust we have to have now um, that even if these guys aren't Guardiola or even if uh, there have been some question marks around big Champions League games in the last few years, there definitely are no question marks around domestic games um, and how elite this team has been uh, in big matches this year.
0: Yep, I think that's a good place to leave it for La Gran Pagunta. As we transition to La Ronda, we'll keep talking about Champions League for a little bit. Sophia asks, what do you think of the upcoming Man United tie?
1: I think it'll be great. Um, United are a big club, one of the biggest in the world, and they have some really excellent attacking players that have finally been let off the Mourinho leash. Um, they're they're having fun and they're playing well with with Solskjaer up until uh, a loss uh, this week in the FA Cup. Um, but ultimately, the what we saw what we saw in that game yesterday, and what we've seen with this team, regardless of the manager this season, is uh, their defense remains about as leaky as a sieve, um, and that's probably going to be the determining factor in the tie um i i am optimistic about barcelona's chances i think the atmosphere should be absolutely fantastic both at old trafford and at camp Nou. and yeah this is this is what this is what we play the champions league for we we play to to play big clubs and obviously united have gone through a downturn but uh don't they'll, they'll be excited to be at this level again and it certainly brings back some fond memories
0: you know the unfortunate side of this Champions League campaign and this season that we're talking about, where it's gotten to a point of kumbaya. And asks asks us to, you know, kind of figure this out. And this is me rewording his his longer question: If you had to part with three players this summer, Eric, who would they be and why?
1: Well, I think there there are some obvious exits uh, that aren't really sort of tricky tricky decisions. Uh, you'll probably see Vormalin go this summer. You'll probably see Kevin Prince Boateng. Uh, and Mario, both of whom kind of showed up to as sort of emergency signings in in January, but definitely aren't going to be around in the long term. Those are the easy answers. I think we'll also probably see Jasper Sillison go, uh, just because he's a tremendous keeper and really needs to be be a starter somewhere and to to be fully appreciated. Um, I can't I can't express enough gratitude for
0: how yeah, he's been, phenomenal yep. he for us. Give me one surprise candidate, then. Give me one guy that we shouldn't expect to part with but you would part with and why you would part with them.
1: I think the the midfield shakeups are are going to be the toughest questions. I mm-hmm. think I think Coutinho should go. Um, I I think it it will be tricky. He's kind of a, in the sort of Gareth Bale dilemma of, of expensive players who just aren't really aren't really settling in well at, or I think mean, Bale is way past the settling in point, uh, yeah, but yeah. just where it doesn't seem to be a great fit the team to move forward. But it's tricky to find a home for those types of players. It's tricky to find a club that's going to spend a transfer fee enough to, to bring them on and to sort of, and it's tricky for the players to accept sort of the negative PR that comes with sort of um, moving away from the, the very elite. So I'm not sure what will happen there, but I think it's probably best for both Coutinho himself and for Barcelona going forward if, if he moves on. I also would probably expect Rafinha to leave as, as sad as it, it would be, because uh, I, I think he's he's a fantastic player, but it just it, he really just has not
0: caught a break. Yeah, well, he, and not catching at Barcelona, where he's been a little healthier every time he's gone out. Celta de Vigo, he was decently healthy. Inter Milan, he was decently healthy. But every time he comes back to the camp, no. And that's an interesting thing about players getting injured. This question from Ramon that comes in next. Thoughts on risking Dembele in return leg versus Lyon isn't this why we bought Malcolm? That's, you know, it's a two part question, but the thing that I get to thinking to on that subject is that when it comes to now vermalen when he came in, we knew he was injury prone. Raphina is injury prone. Samper is injury prone. Dembele, it feels like he seems to be, we'll say 50% on the injury prone list. And, the question that you kind of wonder, and again, I always talk about being an NBA fan as well. Back in the days of the Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash, et cetera, et cetera, they had what they considered a top tier medical staff, where Shaquille O'Neal would come there and he extended his career for an extra year just by being with that incredible staff. And I don't want to put blame on, on the physios and the trainers. And of course, you know, they have the best to work with. But it is a funny thing that certain players are just the way they are. And certain teams, medical staffs, are just the way they are. And I, I'm not saying fire people or, or whatever, what have you. But I hope that this summer, the medical staff at Barcelona does a, a, a self-evaluation again and just goes through that kind of idea. And I know this doesn't really answer the Dembele question. I'll let you answer that about risking. That's the harder question. But for me, I would say I I'd start to get a little bit of a negative feeling about uh, certain players that maybe Barcelona just bring in guys who get injured all the time. But I think there must be a, a better way to go about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's hard to to say that, that sort of it, it's definitely hard to get a peek behind the scenes and, it's partly, I think, just just the odds of if you have 25 players in a squad, there there are going to be be a couple that that have some some bad luck and and who end up being more injury prone. Because on the flip side, we have players that almost that are almost never injured and and play uh, unbelievable amounts of minutes. Uh, Rakitic comes to mind. Suarez comes to mind. Yeah, for uh, sure. Suarez has been battling with some knee injuries. But to answer the question, um, I think it was the, I think it was the right call to play Dembele. Um, was really crucial to put the game away um and given the resources that were given the situation that the team was in if you look at the bench and you look at the sort of form the players are in Dembele was the right guy to go on I do think that Valverde has handled Malcolm poorly um I I like Valverde overall as a coach I think he has some sort of strange blind spots and, and inconsistencies one of them uh is definitely Malcolm um and where it's it's and I was saying this on on Twitter before the game, but it's really a shame that you have a player who shines in the Clasico in early February, and then plays all of five minutes in in like the next six or so matches, despite Dembele being sort of being out for a period of that. Um, and it's it's just a case of you're you're hamstringing your your own team if you don't. Players need minutes to to get into form and to be sort of comfortable and loose and. One of the things that we've broadly done well is make the m- most use of our depth this season, um, and and give the coach a full array of options. And Malcolm should be another one of those, um, but for some reason or another, he just can't seem to get uh, any sort of consistent rotation. And I don't I don't know why that is, but I do think that's a shame.
0: Question from Deb Deep asked what is the likelihood of the MTT transfer and this is again one that not much credence to it, but apparently there were rumors linking him with uh, Manchester United in particular, but also Man City. But again, there's very very little smoke here. We don't know what this is about. But it seems to be connected to the idea of Matthias Delic coming to the club. And I do want to plug over on Barcelona football blog and we've had on Kevin Williams and we've had on Isaiah uh, before uh, the founder of Barcelona Football Blog, and you also contribute as well. And so I do want to direct people, and it'll be in the show notes as well. You can just click on it, read the article, about the concept of Barcelona passing on Delict not because of talent, but on, but on uh, we'll call it financial intelligence and, and not spending the money that he would cost and instead reinforcing the club elsewhere. But these things now are, are connected because if MTD leaves, then Delict is 120%. They should go after him.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I think there's zero likelihood that MTD leaves. I think he is one of the best players Barcelona has picked up in the last uh, decade, and he's had some some injury issues. But he and he sort of gave a, a pretty revealing interview about how he's battled with those. But he's been long lay deputized fantastically for him. But there's really there's really no replacing MTD, and it would be it would be foolish to let him walk especially just for the calmness and, and the, veteran, the veteran influence he brings to the team and the, the surgical passing. He's just he's a delightful player. Uh, as for DeLitt, he's, he's a fantastic talent, also preternaturally calm for his age, um, has a ton of experience, is about as guaranteed a, a success as you'll, you'll see in any 19-year-old in, in yeah. world football anywhere. But, yeah, he, he will cost $70 million, at least at the low end. And I, after the, that article I wrote with, saying that Barcelona really, that it would be sort of financially irresponsible to prioritize them, uh, especially when the sort of urgent need is at striker, I received some really constructive feedback from a lot of the members of the Varsa the Twitter community that, that point out that sort of some of the attacking options on the, on the market may actually be more budget signings. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be somebody we can pick up for 40 million euros and maybe we can balance the book somewhere also pointing out the difficulty of playing two lefties together at center back so it's not like Longland Long and Umtidi can can play together that well uh going forward so I, I can definitely see the logic um but it's it's very much a nice to have and i would want if i were a barcelona sporting director i would want to make sure that we had uh our the, the sort of ducks in a row for every other priority
0: first before mm-hmm. locking down the lid and you do get the feeling that Uh, we don't know what Malcolm's future is. We don't know what Coutinho's future is, but let's say Coutinho does leave the club. And again, not knowing how Malcolm fits in, I look down at La Masia and we always say that that's the key to unlocking part of our future. But, you know, when it comes to Pouge, Oro Busquets, Miranda, uh, Cayado, and even, I guess, Alvaro Reeves to a point, but he still has a little ways to go after missing some time this year with injury. But the best that The Barca B at the moment have to offer even Anaki Peña, Musa Vague. And here I am going down and naming the whole starting 11. Other than Carlos Perez, who I've said on the show that after watching him, he is good. And he's good enough to be obviously a first team professional on a a high club. But I don't know if he's Barcelona level. There seems to be a lack of attackers and wingers and even, uh, we'll say, you know, more... yeah again just guys who can play all across the front three. The Barcelona B just and the La Masia uh doesn't really seem to have that. So I wonder if there is another attacker necessary next year even if it's and I'm saying on top of a replacement number 9 for Luis Suarez, uh which brings us to two questions about we'll say the number 9 position. First Eric asked what makes Luis Suarez fit Barcelona in ways that other number nines wouldn't. And that does kind of bring up the concept of we've heard Maxi Gomez. We've heard Luka uh, Jovic different number nines being profiled and being looked at and scouted by Barcelona. But if you're the Barcelona scouts, what are you looking for? What does Luis Suarez give you that, that guys are going to have to add to Barcelona?
1: I think what, what makes Suarez special is that he just absolutely sacrifices himself for, for the team and, and for his teammates. Um, he, he in, in so many different ways, he's an absolute workhorse, um, he presses the entire game, he's a terror for defenders, um, and it means that when, even when he's not playing well, even when he's uh, not sort of producing moments of brilliance, he is still hugely influential. Um, and I, one of my, my favorite accounts on Twitter, uh, Captain Guardiola, has, has gone to, to some lengths to point out this effect and, and how difficult uh, that energy is to replace. Um, I think Suarez makes his teammates better. It's it's amazing how closely he's bonded with Messi. But mostly, it's it's rare to find to find the creative players who have exceptional talent, but will also sacrifice themselves for a team and mold themselves to whatever whatever role they need. And with Suarez, that means pressing. That means playing out wide. That means looking for the assist and the goal. And so I think if you're if you're looking for a number nine. A, at Barca, you you do need the traditional elements of a nine, in that you need somebody who can who can lend a physical, who has some sort of muscle, who can bring a physical element to Barcelona's play that Messi and Dembélé don't have. But you're also looking for for someone who is versatile and can can play at wide, can make runs in behind, who can who can very much have a multi-positional game because the the front line of, of Barca is in flux and whenever wherever Messi Messi is a genius but playing with him requires being adaptable and that the the players who are most successful at Barcelona in, in terms of attackers are those who can can thrive in sort of a couple of different
0: positions yeah i think the guys that have worked best with Messi are in no particular order Xavi Iniesta Luis Suarez when you look at the combinations the one twos Luis Suarez is certainly on that top 3 list of of Messi's—I mean, and this is not about their personal relationship off the field. Obviously, we know that they're they're such good friends, but they just combine so well. And when Messi's not there, that's when Luis Suarez looks his worst because Messi brings the best out of his friend as well. And we wonder how long it'll take a new player to have Messi bring the best out of them in, in those kind of same ways because, again, you don't touch the ball a lot. And when you do, you got to not just— You have to score with it, but a lot of times you have to combine. You have to do those little things that are necessary of the Barcelona number nine, not necessarily a prototypical number nine target striker. And you look at the ways that Luis Suarez is different than a Harry Kane per se. That's, you know, Harry Kane might be a top level, uh, you know, number nine, but I always wonder what those kind of profiles look like uh, in comparison. Now, Douglas asks, uh, speaking of the number nine position or (laughs) not in a number nine, what do you think about the Antoine Griezmann rumors that have popped up in the last few days? And we've heard different things we heard that Barcelona were trying to reignite and and maybe Griezmann felt a little uh uh, again this is when Atletico Madrid crashing out so at his lowest point that maybe he was rethinking things about coming to Barcelona but I think again there's nothing to this one I put this one in the same camp as the MTT one and as I talked about all of last summer I'm not really sold on Griezmann at Barcelona anyway and yeah he's an exceptional top top player but just like in Eden Hazard, there are certain players that I feel like I can't see them in a Blagrana uniform, and he just seems to be one of those guys.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's silly, and it's a nonsense story. I, I, I believe that there could be interest, but it would be interest of the, the side of two people who are uh, down on their luck a little bit, looking around a bar and saying, well, eh, I don't have many better options, so uh, I guess this could work. Um, Griezmann, Griezmann needs a new club. Barcelona are looking for a striker and not finding a ton of top-tier options. Um, so, they could settle for each other. They won't. Uh, his fiasco last summer and the way he conducted himself, the way he continues to conduct himself off the field, uh, mean that Barcelona won't touch him with a 10 foot pole. I trust Eric all with that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a uh, simple answer. Like, Griezmann issues. I think it's a no for most people, even though he's, again, he's a top. It's amazing that a World Cup winning talent is something that fan base doesn't necessarily want. But going back to your point about financial uh, intelligence, that it just doesn't make sense. It won't make sense, and we might have not another Coutinho situation on our hands, but something similar to it. Now, let's wrap this up. Rick asked, the fourth kit for next season, if you haven't seen it, go over to my Twitter. Uh, I, I We have a, a, a little tweet about that, and it's got the four red and... There's another thing that I want to plug later on when we got some free time in the summer. I want to tell you that we are going to do some specials on uh, whether it's uh, Catalan history or different things. And this will pop up. This is a shirt that's about the origin of Catalonia. Uh, it's got the four stripes that go diagonal, and it's supposed to be uh, about blood. And we'll get into that story again later on in the summer. But Rick does ask, would La Liga accept the use of such a jersey in this politically turbulent time? And that's a good point, that when the original era came out, that one obviously flew off the shelves, was one of their you know top-sold jerseys that Barcelona have had in quite some time. People loved it, but that was a pre, we'll say, uh, the, the referendum and the voting that happened in Catalonia that's still going on with those trials. So there is a lot still going on, but I, I think there is definitely, because Barcelona is a global brand, there's a disconnect between the politics of it and Barcelona just kind of tongue in cheek saying that you know we're still proud of our Catalan roots, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just keeping those things separate, but uh, I don't, you know, this is a tough one.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a beautiful kit. We'll we'll see if it turns out to be a reality. And I think Barcelona should always be referencing their their Catalan roots and and educating fans on their history, uh, especially the ones who who are more international. The one thing about the way this is. Uh, has been the story has been broken so far implies that they would only wear it for especially big matches Mm -hmm. um, such as uh, a classico or uh, probably not a Champions League match but maybe some finals and that seems to me like inviting a lot of controversy Um, that's a good point
0: that's a good point yeah
1: that seems like a a way to to rile up fans and and stir up some trouble i think if you if you want a, a catalan inspired shirt then you should absolutely do that and just make it make it one of the three kits uh this is why we have we have third kits for a reason we have away kits for a reason a fourth kit only for special occasions uh just draws more attention to it rather than normalizing it um and and i think it would would be a, a recipe for problems
0: yeah, I I I think that's completely correct and I I think too that it's a line to cross but I I think there is a way that you know when you look at the Galician region, the Basque region, the, the Andalese, the, all of these different places that are are very proud of their own culture and their own past and they are individual in their own ways. So there are ways to do this where this is a shirt that I think, you know, fits perfectly where it, it doesn't ruffle, it doesn't ruffle too many feathers, but it still kind of proves its point, and it does two things at the same time if you play against Bilbao or or Celta or, or, or de Vigo, if, if they're even in the Liga next year. But Karun, might be back up, so we still might have somebody from uh, Galicia. But I, I think, again, if it's, if it's more regional and you're accepting the culture and the regions being different, but you're right. I think when you just play Real Madrid in that moment, it winds up when all eyes are on you. I think you're right. That's kind of the time when you both want and don't want that shirt to be on full display. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's it's mostly it's if if you are wearing it as a as an important part of of your culture and your team, then wear it week it week in week out, and that that means that you then get to see it appreciated and and sort of spark like you want. You can see it appreciated in parts of Spain that aren't just Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, the sort of valuable things is, is seeing sort of how the, the senora was appreciated in Valencia as well, for instance, um, where there's there's sort of a, a shared element of culture and or the sort of respect that uh, the Basque country and, and the Catalans often have for each other. So I, I think, it, I mean, far be it from me to, to weigh into Spanish politics, which I 100 uh, percent am not, uh, sort of nuanced about.
0: But, yeah, uh, yeah, we try to stay out of that on the show. We try to educate, but stay out of it. Uh, don't, don't be polarizing Yep. And speaking of culture, though, uh, again, we're, we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day here in the United States, and you are living in Boston. So, I, you know, speaking of culture, I think it's time that uh, we take you out of this show and uh, maybe let you enjoy some St. Patrick's Day up in uh, one of the best places to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. But in the meantime, Eric, I want to know where else people can find you.
1: Uh, people can find me at at on Twitter. Uh, you know, mostly tweeting about Barcelona, occasionally about uh, technology and media and whatever else pops into my head. And I'll be watching the game and always, always looking for new people to talk to.
0: Yeah, terrific. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you want to, again, look at that article that he wrote... For Barcelona Football Blog about Delict, that's in the show notes as well as his Twitter handle. You can just click on his name, and that'll send you there. You can also find us through the show notes and subscribe to the show. We're on social media on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D thirteen for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions, and that's how they ask these listener questions today in La Ronda. You can also help us out on Patreon. We are growing there with those match reviews. That's where we do, again, just our Patreon-only match reviews within 24 hours, usually right after the matches, so you can get that for $3.00. Uh, being the minimum on Patreon. And you can find that at tbpod.link Patreon. Finally, we are on YouTube as well. I've got some special YouTube-only stuff that comes out. Also, you can find the shows there. If that makes it easier, you can put it up on your desktop and don't necessarily just have to have it as a podcast. Well, you can do all those things. Subscribe everywhere. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And force of our stuff.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish.
0: Oh, come on. To
1: add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.